to Joy. And let me say before we even get started, there's a tone. You've heard me refer to this before, but there's a tone in preaching um, that you, you need to preach the tone of the text. Scripture carries a tone with it. This has a tone, and I'm going to say you need to you need to be listeners or responders with a certain tone to the text, all right? So this text is about joy, and we're going to get there in just a minute. Before we do that, I brought a couple pictures. Um, time does not permit for me to go into great detail about the trip, but I just want to give you a quick overview. Um, for those of you who are new, I was in Colombia these past couple weeks, and uh, I traveled with Christian. Christian preached here earlier this year and uh, with Aaron. Uh, most of you know Aaron Osborne. And so the three of us traveled. Our flight path uh, is there. And so it was uh, Orlando to Bogota, Bogota to Barranquilla, Barranquilla, back to Bogota, Bogota to Rio Acha, Rio Acha, back to Bogota, Bogota to home. And by the time I got home, I was done. So six flights, one flight missed. All right, missed one flight due to this gringo. Um, missing the flight, uh, which created one day of extended cardio um, due to a very long and fast run through the Bogota airport, trying to make my connecting flight to Rio Acha. Uh, 30 plus sermons between the three of us. Um, nine Grace Partnership churches were visited in five different cities. Uh, the next uh, picture is over the 13 days we drank 18 gallons of coffee. <laughs> and it is true, the rumors are true, Colombian coffee is amazing. Uh, the next picture is just, just, we had so many meetings. And yeah, you can't really see, but Christian ate well. Um, uh, we met with individual pastors, seminary students, pastor wives, pastoral teams. Uh, we had a men's meeting. We did seminary teaching. We taught in the churches, of course. Um, this is a picture. This next one is a picture. This is Rescue uh, uh, Mission Rescate, Mission Rescate. So this is uh, Juan's church. So that's Juan. You guys remember Juan from a couple years ago? So Juan's doing the translating for moi. And, uh, and just what a church. I got to see the, there's a black box that sits over their sound booth and their different sound people that came to me is like, okay, once you see the black box and it's literally, it's just a box, um, with equipment inside of it. And they were just deliberate in thanking. I want to thank you church inside that box is some IT equipment, some technology that allowed them during COVID to continue the live stream, just, just updating the needed equipment. Um, the seminaries continued to grow. Uh, if you've been here for some time, you know that when Juan was here a few years back, uh, he was hopeful for 20, 30 students. It was immediately 60 students. It was immediately 100 students. They just had their first graduating class two nights ago. Um, and they are now, it is 1,400 students, and they are faithful in preaching the word and raising up seminary students, uh, church planters. The goal of the seminary is very clear. It's not for you to come to Mission Rescate. 
the goal is that you stay in your church and you preach the gospel in your church. And so they have students all over Latin America now. Uh, he told me they have a student in Tokyo. <laughs> they have students all over the world. It's really incredible. And part of that, they're saying thank you for the black box because some of that equipment. It was $1,500 from us, really, honestly, nothing. For them, impossible, impossible to accomplish that, especially during COVID when they're taking care of many individuals who had lost their jobs. So um, I don't know where we're at. Next picture is, uh, this is the outside. This is what a typical church would look like. Um, and so it's, it's basically, these are, this is a house. It's a house that's been converted into um, a church. Typically, these houses will have large gates in front of them. And so on both sides of this house converted into a church are just more housing. It just is what the street looks like, gives you an idea. But uh, this is Vida en su Palabra. I probably said that wrong, but it means life in the word. And uh, from the inside, this is, this is the second service. So they live stream so that aura <laughs> is, is right in front of the pulpit. And uh, um, this is Eduardo's church. So you guys remember Eduardo who was here earlier this year. And so there's our friend Eduardo and mi gringo. Um, and so what a great time in his church. It was uh, the first service was boiling hot. One of their ACs did not work. And that's just a common, that's just common in Colombia. So uh, second service, they got it running. And then this next picture is another one of the pastors on staff there, Andres. Uh, the, I'm the big strong guy in the middle. And then Eduardo there. And uh, we're enjoying lunch right before my flight back to Bogota. Um, that's just a big overview. Next week, I hope to just share with you what would have been my favorite memory from my time there. And you have, you have a part of that. So I can't wait to share that with you next week. But let's get to our text this morning. My prop this morning comes from the text. I'm just going to read it. And it's verse 11. Because I think this is the best summary you can have to Psalms 32. So no improvements can be made. It is this, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be glad in you. Amen. Help us to rejoice because you have given us an eternal, an eternity of reasons to rejoice in you. Lord, we will talk about the blessed life in just a moment. We're not talking about material things. We're talking about eternal blessings. Lord, you have abundantly blessed your people. And for that, God, we want to be a rejoicing people. We want to respond this morning in joy. Shout for joy, your word says, all you upright in heart. So I pray that you'd help us as we unpack this text this morning in Jesus' name, amen. One more thing before we dive in on the screen is this is just a list of psalms that we have preached in the past. So if you're new, um, we try to, if the preaching schedule allows us, we try to preach psalms during the summer just so we can keep our diet in the Old Testament and also in the summer 
in the Psalms. And so on the left are Psalms that we have covered, and then these are the Psalms that we will be covering uh, over these next weeks. Is there any more of a joyful Psalm in the Psalms? Uh, There's probably equal, equal joy, but you can't do better than Psalm 32. Is there any clear reason for joy given in all of the Psalms? Again, there's probably some equal reasons giving, but you can't do any better than Psalm 32. The Psalm begins with this word, blessed. Blessed is the one. Then verse two, again, blessed is the man. Blessed. When we say, God bless you, we kind of do so typically pretty robotically without really thinking through what it is that we're saying. When we say, God bless you, someone sneezes, God bless you. A goodbye for us can be a God bless you. I learned last week, que Dios te bendiga, God bless you. Have you ever given thought to that phrase, God bless you? What exactly are we saying or meaning, intending to say when we say those words? The prosperity preacher proclaims it over you. He says it like this, be blessed. Kim and I were in an ice cream shop this week and we were interacting with a lady. As she left, she said, be blessed. You too. (laughs) What does that mean? Often for the prosperity preacher, it means be healthy, be wealthy, be prosperous, Have you noticed that the idea of blessing in America is often tied to one's health, wealth, and prosperity? It's almost tied to one's good fortune. Have good fortune. Actually, God bless you has that kind of religious fortune cookie feel to it. God bless you. God caused things to go well for you in your life. But when the psalmist, who is David, refers to blessing, he doesn't tie the blessed life, if you will, to one's status or one's job or one's bank account. Actually, he won't even tie, in other places, it to one's circumstances. One can be suffering and be blessed. You know that. It's not tied to one's good fortune He directly ties blessing to the gospel. So we dive in. Point number one is gospel joy. I'll go ahead and pre, I don't know, warn you or let you know, give you a heads up. We're going to spend the bulk share of time in point one, and then we'll move pretty quickly through the following three points. So this is gospel joy. It's verses one and two. Let's read it again. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, praise God, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, right? Amen to that. Praise God to that. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. And so Psalms 32, just a heads up, gets the gospel. Would encourage you to be reading this text later on this afternoon and do so, read it carefully. He says, blessed, transgressions forgiven, sin covered. Blessed is the one who the Lord counts, no iniquity. Forgiven, covered, no counting against you. 
And there are three ways that the psalmist begins to dissect our offenses against a holy God. Transgressions, sin, iniquity. And I want to pick those apart for just a moment. First of all, transgressions. It literally means that in our transgressions, in our sin, we have created this separation from God. It expresses this idea of separation, that things are not okay between sinful man and a holy God. Adam and Eve sinned, and what did that do? It created a separation from them and God. There's a reason why they're hiding in the bushes. It created a barrier between man and God. Church, we are transgressors. And our transgressions against God separates us from God. That's what transgression does. We are separated. We stray. We rebel from God. We leave God. Now, this is all the bad news. Secondly, sin. The idea of sin literally is missing the mark. In our sin, we always miss the mark. Now, Rick was asking us last week, have you ever wondered what the will of God is for your life? And then he preached 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Thank you, Rick, for preaching and being faithful to the text last week. But people like to think of the will of God as some sort of mysterious thing, some sort of thing I got to decode God's will. I got to figure out the mystery. And when we do that, we jump over the obvious thing. The will of God is that we would live our lives for the honor and the glory of our God. That's the will of God. His will is that we would do his will. So I want to know the will of God. Wonderful. Dive into this book. I'm so glad you want to know the will of God. He's made his will known to us right here. So wonderful prayer for you to pray. God, help me to know your will. I trust that the next thing you do is you're picking up your Bible to read his word where his revealed will exists. So sin misses the mark, though. It doesn't pursue the will of God. It pursues the will of man. Sin, in essence, is the battle of wills. It's my will refusing to do his will. That's how it misses the mark. It says life is all about me. It's all for me. And so we make decisions that best serve me to benefit me, to make me look good. Sin speaks in a way to lower others and to elevate me. It does things to escape trouble for me. Things like, well, stealing and lying and coveting and lusting. It grows angry with one's spouse or angry with one's children. It begins to lose all patience. Why? Because it will always miss the mark of the will of God. And it does so all for the sake of my will rather than his will, my kingdom rather than his kingdom. And it strains to be at the center of all things rather than straining at defeating our worldly flesh and honoring God. Well, then he says iniquity. And iniquity is this. It's a crooked line. It's, it's, it's walking a twisted or a crooked line. Iniquity is that crooked line that we walk. If we, if we had no iniquity, we would be walking a straight line to God. Transgression, separation, distance between God, sin, missing the mark of God's standard, iniquity, 
walking a crooked line. And I just appreciate that the psalmist is unpacking these for us. Just helping us to look from different angles the overwhelming depravity of our hearts, the depths of our sinfulness. We are a depraved people. And it's important that we consider this because in our day, there's a desire to downplay all, everything that I'm saying. Like, move along, Tim. Let's downplay all of this. <clears throat> and from the pulpits across our country, it, we're being told more and more, downplay sin, downplay sin, downplay sin. People, we are told, don't like to be told they're sinners. America's largest church is Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas, pastored by Joel Osteen. In his book titled Daily Readings from Becoming a Better You, 90 Readings to Improve Your Life Every Day, he writes about Genesis 3. Now here's the thing. I think you know this, but here's, here's Genesis 3 in a sentence. It's a foundational chapter that shows the sinfulness of humanity and our need for a savior. Hope shows up right there in the midst of sin in Genesis 3. But I want to read to you because I think this is needed. It's not my joy to do so. It's not my preference to do so. It's more my need to do so. So I want to read to you from Joel Osteen's book. And he writes, quote, Back in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, they hid. So far, so good. In the cool of the day, God came to them and said, Adam, Eve, where are you? They said, God, we are hiding because we were naked. Joel says, I love the way God answered them. He said, Adam, who told you that you were naked? In other words, who told you that something was wrong with you? God immediately knew that the enemy had been talking to them. God is saying to you today, who told you that you don't have what it takes to succeed? Who told you the best grades you could make in school were C's rather than A's? Who told you that you're not attractive enough? Who told you that your marriage is not going to last? Who told you something was wrong with you? Those are lies from the enemy. You need to reject those ideas and discover what God says about you. Well, I don't think I could ever get this promotion, Joel. Who told you that? God said, no good thing will I withhold you when you walk uprightly. Well, I don't think I'll ever get married, Joel. I haven't had a date in so long. I don't think I'll ever find someone who would love me for who I am and with whom I would be compatible. Who told you that? God said, when you delight yourself in him, he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, I don't think I could ever be in management. I don't think I could be a leader. Who told you that? God says you can do all things through Christ. The potential is inside you. It doesn't change just because you don't believe it or just because you've been through some negative experiences in the past. It has been deposited in you permanently by the creator of the universe. This is the largest church in America. Um, this, what I just read to you, that will draw a crowd. We can fill seats with that. If you were hearing what I just read, the gospel is you. You are the gospel. You just need to realize it. I just need to speak these positive things into my life to get what it is that I want. Where is God in that picture? 
of what I just read? Or who is God in that picture of what I just read? Can I tell you who God is in that picture? You are. You are. You have the power to speak those things into existence. By the way, those scriptures that I read, those are very good scriptures. They just don't address what he's talking about here. <laughs> and so this is why we want to preach in context. Preach it in context. So um, wonderful scriptures, just completely missing the point of those passages. Who is the Savior in his explaining of Genesis 3? He says, well, well, actually, God, God didn't ask Adam and Eve, who told you something was wrong with you? The Bible makes it clear, something is wrong with you. <laughs> That's what the Bible makes clear. Something's wrong with you. That's why you're hiding. Because sin separates. And it's not that Adam and Eve need to, need to talk themselves back in the room and need to boost themselves up by saying positive things to, them, to themselves. The Bible makes it clear, church, something is wrong with us. That's why God came. Christ is not hanging on the cross so that you would think more positive things about your lack of marriage or your lack of opportunities or your lack of, of leadership. That's not why Christ died. Christ died because we're sinners transgressors, iniquity, sin. He came because we're sinners in need of a savior. Our problem is not that we don't believe in the, in the potential in ourselves. Our problem is that we are sinners to the core of our being. And he came because of our great need for a savior. Praise be to God. Christ is our Savior. You see, if you misdiagnose the problem, then you'll mistreat the problem. And in an effort to not offend anyone, let's be sure we don't use the sin word. Joel misses the problem, which then he offers a false gospel as the solution. I don't say that to dis on Mr. Olstein. I say that to help us. We need to think rightly in the day in which we live because we have, we literally have pulpit coaches or pastoral coaches who are telling the pastors of the churches, don't preach on sin because it's not going to fill the seats. Listen, when you preach sin, it will do both fill the seats and empty the seats on the same Sunday. God's goal in the garden is not to help them feel better about themselves. God's goal in the garden is to help them see they, are now, they now stand in judgment against a holy God and they are in desperate need for a savior. Praise be to God. Chapter 315, a savior will come. So when our teaching neglects iniquity, sin, transgression, not only are we not being faithful to the text, but it finds a false savior. If your only problem is that you don't believe in yourself, then who needs Jesus? At best, we just want a little bit of Jesus on the side as a little topping to the cake. Al Mohler says the biggest problem with prosperity theology is not that it promises too much, but it promises far too little. And this is why success in the church is not defined based on how many people do we have in the room. 
it's defined, success is defined based on, will we be faithful to the word of God? And so he says, transgressions forgiven, meaning our separation has been dealt with. Sin, he says, is covered, meaning Christ didn't miss the mark on our behalf. Iniquity is not counted against you. Why? Because it is counted against Christ. So we need to mine the Psalms here because there's glory. There's glorious gospel truths in the Psalm. Remember, we, we always look at the Old Testament and know it's pointing us to Jesus. It's to say a Savior's coming. Praise be to God. Now we live on the other side of the cross and we look back and we go, yeah, and he came. He came. Transgressions forgiven, meaning that our distance, remember that means separating, our distance has been dealt with by Christ. Our sins create a distance. Christ's life, death, resurrection reconciles us, reconciles us to the Father. The burden of our wrongs was removed at the cross. Christ bore our transgressions, He meaning he took them onto himself, and that's what brings us in right relationships, brings us to God. Sins, he says, are covered. Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Covered by what? It's covered by the blood of the lamb. I forgot to mention at the start, if you don't have your communion elements, you feel free. You can get up as I'm preaching in the back here, over here, if you are a believer, please, we're going to take communion in the middle of the sermon, and that's coming pretty quick, so now's your time, if you don't have that yet, um, and you won't be a bother to me. So, um, sin is covered, covered by the blood of Christ. That's what we celebrate when we celebrate communion. We're celebrating his body and blood, that we are covered in his blood. Christ covered our sin before the eyes of God. You are covered in Christ. Christ, if sin means missing the mark, we can look at Christ and say, he didn't miss any mark. He did not miss the mark. Praise be to God. Sins are covered because he didn't miss the mark. Iniquity. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Why is the Lord not counting iniquity? Iniquity is not counted against you because it was counted against Christ on our behalf, right? You understand? Like that's, that's, that's the atonement. That's what's going on there at the, on the cross of Christ. The reason you are not counted, iniquity is not counted against you. It's not that God got confused. It's not that he lost his way in his ledger. It's not that it's completely dismissed. When we sing this morning about being pardoned, yes, you are pardoned, but that doesn't mean everybody goes free. Christ paid the penalty for the debt that we owed. And so when you are pardoned, it's not as if the judge in the courtroom just says, okay, I, I, I proclaim over you, you're innocent. No, someone, someone must pay for the consequences of our sin, for missing the mark, for our transgressions and iniquity. Christ, it's not counted against you because it's counted against Christ. Your account is empty. Actually, it's not empty. 
But as far as iniquity goes, this is stunning. I know, I, I know you know these truths, but just consider how stunning it is. You, you have nothing counted against you. But wait, what? Uh, nothing. If you understand the words Brett was using this morning when he opened the service, and he was using the word alone, alone, nothing stands to be counted against you. And as I said, it's not, a, it's not an empty ledger. Actually, the accounting is your righteousness, which really isn't yours. It's imputed, meaning on the cross, Christ not only took our transgressions and sins, but he gave us his righteousness. So if you were to look into the accounting of things, there would be an empty sheet when it comes to debt, when it comes to iniquity, and there would be a full sheet when it comes to righteousness. And we should be going, what? No iniquity, all righteousness, none of it because of you or me. All of it because of our Savior. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Christ paid the debt. Nothing left. Nothing left. Some of you are not convinced. You're thinking, oh, the, if you knew, Tim, if you knew the mountain of sin. And I want to say to you, if you knew, if you knew the hill on which he died. Do you for a moment think your sin is bigger than my Savior? <laughs> I will take my Savior who came and he defeated sin and death on your behalf. Trust in him. Repent of your sins. Turn to him. Christ bore. Christ covers. Nothing left to be counted against you. The first words that proclaimed when Christ came on this earth from the gospel of John. Right? John, he's baptizing. And he looks up. Behold, the Lamb of God. What? Who takes away the sin of the world. Among some of Christ's last words on this earth, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This cup represents, the, the, the bread represents, it explains Psalms 32. The cross of Christ explains this psalm. Actually, this psalm makes no sense outside of Christ. I feel for those our Old Testament brothers and sisters going you talk about head scratching huh what that and the faith they had looking forward so beautiful it explains the blessed life the blessed one it explains why is there joyful shouting in psalms 32 what is wrong with these people or maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering you know so there's some people in here kind of shouting and you're just kind of going really what is wrong with these people? Here's what's wrong with these people. They have been set free from the slavery of sin and death. And praise be to God, it is entirely, completely because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. He has died, the just for the unjust, the innocent for the guilty, the righteous for the unrighteous, that our sins would be laid upon him that they might be taken away and covered by his blood. And now, no sin, no iniquity, no transgression is counted against you. 
Praise God. So what's the application to the text? Right? It's not tricky. (laughs) Joy. What joy we have in this gospel. And so if you would, take out your communion elements. As I was preparing, I just figured, you know what? Now, now's when we want to take communion. This represents the body of Christ is broken on your behalf. Listen, if you are not a believer in Christ, you may already have a cup and bread. You may have already opened it. If you're not a believer, please just, just pass it up. It's fine. If there's children in the room, parents, I trust you to parent your children. This is not a snack. This represents the very body of Christ that was broken on our behalf. Let's take it together. This cup represents the blood that has covered our sins. word tells us, do this in remembrance of him. Let's take the cup together. God, we thank you. What joy in what we just did, in what that communicates about your atonement on our behalf. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we'll move on. Confession joy, verses three through five. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And I just want to point out just the joy of confession. Can I encourage you towards the joy of confession? It talks about the silent are devoured, meaning when we're silent about our sin, when we just kind of bury our sin and don't deal with our sin, when we don't confess our sin, we are devoured by our sin when we ignore our sin. We pretend that we're not sinful. I love verse four, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, the Lord's hand is heavy upon me. Praise be to God. You want that. You want the heavy hand of the Lord upon you. I'm praying this week, God, would you, would you bring a heavy hand upon us? You might not be a follower of Christ. I'm praying, God, bring a heavy hand upon. Because it's the heavy hand of the Lord that's brought all of us to a place of confession and repentance and salvation. If it wasn't for the heavy hand of the Lord. The heavy hand of the Lord is grace and kindness and mercy. The heavy hand of the Lord is what brought you to confession and repentance and salvation. You may be here and you've been sinning in an area for so long and just ignoring it and ignoring it and ignoring it. And there is no longer the heavy hand of the Lord upon you. It's a fearful place to be. Be afraid of that. Call out to God. Verse five, there's confession. And where there's confession, there is forgiveness. 
you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What a joy in that confession. Number three is refuge joy, verse six and seven. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Refuge joy. Pray at a, at a time when he may be found. That, that's now. That's the day in which we're living. Pray at a time. That, that's that's pre-judgment day, the day of the Lord. Now is the day to seek the Lord while he may be found. Isaiah 55, 6 says it like this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And so the result here, verse number seven, is these shouts of deliverance. Again, the Psalm, Psalm 32, it's a loud psalm. You're gonna need to be comfortable with the loudness of the psalm. It's what a delivered person does, right? You've been kidnapped by a criminal. You're bound up, gagged, stuffed into his trunk, going down a bumpy road, right? Like Hollywood has made billions on this story. Unfortunately, it's, it happens. But someone comes and rescues you. What does that look like? Eh, thanks. It's not until we realize how bad the bad news is. It's not until we realize sin, transgression, iniquity. The only time that Christ's salvation makes any sense is when we realize our depth of depravity of which he has saved us. That's what launches in the psalm the shouts of joy, the shouts of deliverance. You have been delivered by Christ. You have been set free by Christ. Praise our God, he's our deliverer. The last point is plural joy. Plural joy. Verse eight, I think on the page it says through nine, but we'll go all the way to the end. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule. Don't be stubborn is what he's saying. Without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle. Or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. That you there at the end, it's plural. It's a plural you, meaning it's a plural joy. Meaning, thanks for coming to church this morning. Thanks for being a community of believers where we can worship our God together, celebrating our God together, worshiping our Lord and Savior together. It's a plural psalm. Sure, we apply it personally, individually, but it should be applied as the community of people of God together, celebrating the gospel with brothers and sisters in the Lord. Now, who is God in this text? Because we always want to be looking, right? Who is God? What's our response? Who is God? Well, just a quick, quick glance. He's the forgiver. He's the coverer. 
He bears our burden. He covers our sin by his blood. He's the judge who keeps no record of our iniquities. He's our refuge. He's our hiding place to whom we run. He is the verse eight counselor and instructor who keeps his eye on you. Don't be verse nine stubborn, which leads to verse 10 sorrow. He is the verse 10 steadfast love God, which speaks of his care for you. It is intimate. He has a steadfast love towards you intimately, individually, you. He cares for you. It's a loving care, enduring care, faithful care. The Psalm 32 character of the Lord, if the worship team could join me. The Psalm 32 character of God leads us to verse 11, joy. It doesn't, it doesn't just fall out of thin air. It's a reasonable joy. It's a rational joy. It's an informed joy. It's not as if we're just sitting around and just having these just nice, joyful feelings. Thank God it goes beyond our feelings. That even when our feeling, we're not feeling joyful, the truth of the gospel remains. Our emotions are all over the charts. But praise be to God, the gospel is rooted, and it's rooted, if you're a believer, rooted in you. And so it is immovable. So Psalms 32, character of God, leads us to a response, and the response is verse 11. It's joy. It's really the only legitimate response to the psalm. What else is there? The psalmist says, be glad in the Lord. And rejoice, O righteous. Oh, O righteous, that's, that's not your righteousness. That's not be glad in the Lord, those of you who are kind of getting your quiet done, time done this week. And wow, you really, you know, you handled things rightly and you didn't get upset with the kids and you, you remain patient with your husband or your wife. Oh, righteous, be glad in the Lord. No, this is it, all of Christ's righteousness poured into your life. That's that full account, that side of the accounting where all of his righteousness is now in you and you have nothing to add. You have nothing to offer. It's all been given by Christ. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Be glad, church, not in your ability, not in your good efforts or your good works. Be glad in Christ's effort and his works. Rejoice, O righteous, because you are righteous. You are made righteous in Christ. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Why are you upright in heart? <laughs> because the mercy of God has been planted in you. So shout for joy. Let's stand together. And let's respond. Let's sing to our God, plural you. Let's sing. <laughs>